You're listening to Learning Now Radio, bringing you the best news, views, and interviews from the team that brings you Learning Now TV. This is Learning Now Radio. So I'm delighted to be speaking to Sam Rogers today on Learning Now Radio. Now, Sam uh, is an accidental learning specialist for over 15 years. So it's a long time to be doing something so wonderfully, so accidentally. He's um, founder of Snap Synapse. He's a video producer, editor, advocate, musician, polymath, and all things to the world of learning. So, Sam, welcome to Learning Now Radio. <laughs> Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, and that's a very flattering intro. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I would just describe myself as somebody who uh, gets into lots of messes and then digs his way out. Well, that's a very good place to start in terms of digging <laughs> yourself into messes, because I know that you are not one to shy away from a debate and a good discussion around learning, and particularly because of your very practical journey into learning. I thought we'd touch on that first of all, and then touch on some of the debates that you've been involved with in recent times. So Sam, tell us a little bit about your journey into learning and, and why it's become such a passion for you. Sure. Well, I think a lot of us who are in the, the learning and, and development field didn't really start out, you know, saying, I want to be in learning and development when I grow up. Um, and some of us have, and that's fantastic. But um, myself, I think I learn out of self-defense, of, of just being in a world that doesn't make a whole lot of sense and trying to figure out how to make the world make a little more sense. Um, I happened into the field when uh, 15 years ago, as you mentioned, and I have a whole blog post about my journey specifically, but um, when I just poked my head in the door and they said, do you know HTML? And I said, no, but I'll, I'll give it a shot, I guess. And uh, what they were doing was starting uh, the first learning management system and the first uh, real online training for a mortgage company in the United States. And I just happened to get in on the ground floor of something and, and wasn't scared to bump up against edges because the system hadn't launched yet. No one really knew what it was yet. There weren't any expectations. So I figured, OK, as long as I can, you know, make a backup and uh, I can just break things left and right, figure out how it all works. So I came at learning and development from the perspective of figuring things out along the way and being able to do that very quickly and explain things to other people on the team that I was working on. I just naturally gravitated towards more and more of the instructional design end of things. Um, but it, it doesn't come from a perspective of academia or really being trained on training or anything like that. Uh, just trying stuff and seeing what works and then being able to reframe that and make it simple enough that other people can understand. Um, so I often am drawn into more technical fields because I'm not, you know, scared to, to go in and, and get things wrong. But uh, that winds up with providing a wealth of experience of actually how to do things right. And um, always learning from other people, being able to basically connect the dots and translate between the business needs, the technical needs, the learner needs, the way that things have been done forever in learning uh, departments, you know, and uh, basically facilitate the connections between all of those different parties. 
and so that problems get solved. And uh, as I always say, I'm, I'm the guy that would like not to be involved. I'd like to live in a world where no training was necessary, where things were really designed well in the first place uh, so that, you know, no one needs instructions on how to use an ATM, yet we can all get money from the bank without interacting with a person, you know. Um, if we design things well, there's no need for training. Oftentimes, training is slapped on as, you know, kind of the band-aid or plasters, I've learned, is the term to use in the UK. That's um, right. Uh, and that that's how uh, training is brought into the equation. I'm always trying to advocate for, you know, getting brought in earlier and things like that. So again, I just kind of have naturally flowed into a uh, more of a design perspective, more of a of a user interface kind of mindset. But just because I'm trying to get on the front end of the problem, which is change, as opposed to being on the back end, which is training to help facilitate that change. So it's a very you've picked up on so many points, and I think we could spend hours talking about all of those because you've talked about things like being the facilitator, connecting the dots, looking at the business result and the change that you're trying to influence, and making things easier. So you've not really spoken, and I think this is very telling at all about well, I build learning programs to do such and such, or I build content to do this. It's there's a challenge here. I want to make things easier so that people are able to concentrate on the work that they need to do, and. And I think that is a, uh, a real key to the future of, of learning in organisations and how we support people to be able to do their jobs and do things well. You know, people go to work wanting to be able to do a good job, not wanting things to get in the way of that. And how would you advocate that for those that are listening, thinking, well, I'm in an organisation where learning and development is still really seen as a rather traditional add-on function where I go and I book stuff. And I, there's lots of transformation happening out there, but there are still lots of organisations that are struggling with this. What do they need to do and what do they need to get curious about to make that change? Well, curiosity is key. Thank you for that nice little segue. Um, that's something that I'm very passionate about is following what your audience is curious about and teaching, if it happens at all, happens from that perspective. So what is it that the learners want to know? They want to know, again, like you said, they want to come to work and, you know, and do a good job. But unfortunately, more often than not, the systems that have been constructed for them to do that aren't really helping. They, they, they are thwarting people in doing a good job. So I'm always coming in with the perspective of can we make the behavior that we're looking to create the path of least resistance to the person who's supposed to be engaged in that behavior. So um, so for someone learning to, you know, use a new technology or a new system or something like that, can we make the thing that we want them to do the easiest thing for them to do to do a good job and make all of the other things that they might do harder and some of that, you know, it sounds like it's it's much more of a of a UI issue in, in many cases. But when it comes to training, can we explain things in such a way where we're directing people's attention to the behavior that we want them to engage in and 
also spending a little time directing them to you can do this, but it's harder, like just those kind of mental suggestions along the way, make it to where people acting in their own self-interest or, or coming in to do a good job for a company that they believe in can actually do that and not have to come up with workarounds and things that then drives everyone else crazy in the support chain or, you know, in, in how it is that all of the important metrics are being calculated like, oh, well, we never expected them to do that. If we can make things easy for people to do, if we can follow what it is that they are curious to learn about, can I do this easier? Can I do this faster? It's a very easy appeal to people. Um, you know, they want to be recognized for doing the good work that they do. And I think that the way that we design training can have a lot to do with that. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot here a bit, Sam, because it's brought to mind a question that I think is really important. And lots of people that work in learning, this may be one that they're struggling with, is that we know that uh, there seems to be a real momentum now behind looking at performance and looking at the business metrics, being true partners to the business, taking a proper consultative approach to all of this. But still, there'll be the knock on the door of of learning and development and people saying, so, What training have we done this year? How much of it have we done? How would you tackle that kind of still stilted approach to learning and development when still people want to see, you know, how many bum, as we'd say in the UK here, Sam, how many bums on seats have we had this year? Right, right. Well, that is that is a question worth answering. That's something that's certainly trackable pretty easily in most cases. But it's not a question that the business will generally ask, at least in in my experience consulting and working for, you know, large corporations for the last 15 years or so, that's an important question for the training department to answer, but it doesn't really have much relevance outside of the training department. And if it does, it's pretty easy to recondition. What are the things that the business needs to have happen? This is always about behavioral change. People don't really want their employees generally spending time and training. They just want them to do things differently. So what is that do things differently metric? It's being measured already somewhere in the organization. We don't have to make it up. We don't even have to look very hard for it. We just have to talk to the right level, the right altitude of the leaders in the organization, they know before a a project even lands in the queue for the training department, there's a problem, there's a need that's been expressed in the business. And then that comes to training and it gets translated into somewhere down the chain, bums in seats. But the business need is not that. The the business doesn't need bums and seats. The business needs people to do things differently. So figuring out what it is that they're doing now, what it is that they need to do differently, and helping people actually do that, greasing the wheels so that that's exactly what happens. And again, that doing anything other than that is actually harder to do. That is the solution that I see and that I've tried to implement in all of my work. And I think it's so important a message to take away when you said about picking up on the note of curiosity. I think a lot of this is almost a self-fulfilling prophecy that we're you believing what the business may expect of you. Or so, you know, we work in training, we work in learning. So these are the things that are expected of us. When, like you said, the business doesn't care. The business wants to deliver stuff and it wants to deliver stuff well and it wants to make life easy and it wants to be able to give people opportunities to do even better. And like you said, foster behaviours that... 
enable innovation and new insights uh, and take care of the day to day, make that easy, not make it onerous, not package it into huge uh, training or learning programs. But I think making sure that uh, as a learning professional or, or training, whatever you'd like to call yourself, that you're not limiting yourself by what you believe you you have historically been believed to deliver that actually it's up to you if the, if you're delivering value to the business and the business can see that they'll love you for it that's all they care about yeah and and that really comes from asking questions i have no idea what the business needs i, I don't walk in assuming that i do it's different from business to business what but what, what is their key metric what is the most important metric for that business it's a really good question to ask and uh, and often, you know, people aren't really expecting that from someone in the training field, but it's critical to every line of the business, whether, you know, whether it's HR in general or, or you know, IT or whatever sales division, the, the most important thing that the business does is, so, is a message that needs to be understood across all of the departments. Uh, across everyone in the business. And that's something that training can really help communicate. But most importantly, we need to, need to make sure that what we're measuring aligns to that in some way. And like I said, that's not generally bums and seats. Bums and seats are important, but they're important to the training department. They're not necessarily important to the business. So when you start to ask questions like that to leaders in the business, they start to pay attention and speak to you differently. And I... Uh, personally, uh, which is some of what I mentioned in that post you referred to, I just go in and ask stupid questions. I assume that I'm going to ask the wrong questions. And, uh, you know, I get very fearful and nervous sometime about, well, I guess I'm going to have to ask this. Like, I don't know the answer. Excuse me. I'm coming in from the outside. I don't really know the answer to this. But like, what's what's important to the business? Like, <laughs> you know, it's it's it's. <laughs> Something that sometimes sheepishly I, I ask and jokingly I'll ask, but uh, but oftentimes other people in the room don't know the answer. And, um, you know, our fears tell us that asking a stupid question will make us look stupid. And sometimes that's true. But most of the time I end up looking smart to other people in the room that I really don't know the answer. Um, but I'm always willing to ask. And uh, and I think in learning and development, exploring our own curiosity, what it is that we want to know is important. Uh, and, you know, leading the example for all of our learners, we want them to ask questions. Well, we better ask a lot of questions too, which isn't say that you need to badger people with, you know, minutia and details, but really making sure that you're aligned and that you can enable other people to look smart and be passionate about what they're passionate about. Like when they light up about some minor accounting detail that may or may not make a difference to your life, they get to express what they want to value in the world. And, uh, you know, they're more likely to, to come to you and talk to you even informally in, in a way that, that opens them up to, really the juicy stuff, the the knowledge that you want to be able to pass along that some of that juice to your learners to that that end result, you know, and and video getting to that part of the reason that I'm involved in that is because it cuts across all of those 
seeming boundaries so easily. Uh, we're all accustomed to viewing video, you know, be it TV or movies or whatever, um, so much now online. And thankfully, because of all of the cat videos on the internet and YouTube kind of democratizing uh, creating content, there's... Uh, the bar has been lowered in terms of video production and with all the technology that's available, like basically if you have a smartphone, you have a whole video production studio in your hand. Being able to take those little tidbits of passion be and curiosity, be it from a learner or from someone in the business and package that in a very small way and connect those dots, again, facilitating that conversation, showing that little bit of of light and really asking questions and capturing those passionate responses. Uh, video is something that cuts across all of the the usual ways that we would structure that knowledge and that unfortunately uh, has a habit. It doesn't have to, but has a habit of kind of breeding the life out of it along the way. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I love using video and have uh, have been very fortunate that some of my skills in the in the music arena have translated into video production. Uh, what I'm trying to do now is really enable a learning culture to allow that cultural shift to happen in organizations where you know, it doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to be it has to do something again, the the behavioral change being the the core tenant rather than being pretty like on movies or fast paced like on television, really just making it work towards our original learning objectives is uh, there's not a lot of information out there about that. And, uh, and there's some, but I'm I'm seeking to change that and open up more conversations with people. You know, it, it's really interesting. All of these conversations I have for Learning Now Radio, every time I learn so much. And while you were speaking there, it's just neurons firing off going, you know, we're talking about the difference that people that are passionate about learning can make. And as you said, you know, you're a huge advocate of video. I have learned an awful lot by joining the um, forum that you've set up on LinkedIn. I'm in, really interested in video, but I've still got a lot to learn and I learn a lot from watching the things that you're doing and the whole cohort there with Brent and Tom and everybody sort of piling and sharing their insights. I've learned an awful lot. But, you know, one thing that this really brings back to you talk about curiosity and saying that you'll go in and ask the stupid questions is I think a gift that people can bring to the organisation is that. I consider myself from suffering from an utter lack of dignity and a very high tolerance for embarrassing myself. I'm sure my daughter would agree when I turn up, <laughs> at, when I turn up at the school gates in my cycling gear every morning. And it means that I don't profess to be an expert in video. I don't do it perfectly. I often get things wrong. I may not come across uh, fantastically on camera as somebody that is uh, professionally trained and is working for a broadcast institution. But I do really care about it. And I think that if you've got a story to tell that you're really passionate about, that authenticity and that context, like you said, it's a real leveller in terms of content. It really comes across. So, like I said, because I've got a, a, 
a, a lack of dignity, I'm quite happy to give it a go and put myself out there and put some um, video online. But for lots of people, that would just be a non-starter. We can't create video. We can't do that. A, like you said, I don't have I don't have the technology. That'd be the first barrier. I don't have the equipment. I don't have the experience. I'm going to come across terribly on camera. People won't find me interesting, etc., etc. But I think actually, if we can help facilitate and support people to A, use the tools effectively, but B, just tell me your story. There are so much more powerful contextual learning we could get out of the business by giving that gift, really. I completely agree. And I would refer anyone listening to this podcast to listen to the last one from Mark Shepard speaking about failure, you know, to explore that topic more. It really is a prerequisite for a success in most cases. So knowing that you know, your, your first e-learning video probably isn't going to be very good is fine. Uh, Don't, don't use that first video to uh, interview the president of the company. Uh, Use it for something small. You know, Steven Spielberg's first movie, you've never seen it. I've never seen it. We'll never see it because it's bad. (laughs) And it's fine. Like he, he went on to make things that we now want to watch, but he started off making things that we don't want to watch. And the power skill of just being willing to to go in and then embarrass yourself, as you say, that's why I've teamed up with Brent for the, the morning, uh, well, morning in the Pacific time zone, I guess, evening for the UK, the, the blab.im learning and development talks, which happen daily now. It's much the same for him. He just kind of blunders in and starts experimenting with stuff. And if it works, he keeps doing it. If, and if it doesn't work, then he stops doing it. Like there's some amount of R&D and playfulness that needs to happen and in order to make something that's good. And fortunately, as I mentioned, with the bar of production being lowered uh, in terms of learner expectation, there's some play room in there. You, you, there is room to just shoot something on a cell phone and post it and have people actually learn stuff. It's really not all that difficult. And of course, as you make mistakes with bad lighting, with bad audio, uh, with the shaky cam kind of thing, like, oh, maybe I should actually set it there as opposed to holding it in my hand or something like that. You learn as things go. Um, there's a, a video that uh, I'm happy to see now on uh, on the, the front speaker page of the ATD uh, International Conference and Expo coming up that I did as an experiment that I shot uh, on a green screen that I'd never used before. I didn't light it right. I shot it with my cell phone and the the microphone that I'm using is actually the, the microphone for my headphones, not a great setup. It took me two takes to be able to speak and look in the camera, right? And within 45 minutes to an hour, I had posted something on the ATD, sent it to ATD, which they posted on their website. And I didn't really have to work hard for it. I took a couple images from their website and I put it on in a background with this green screen thing, which I had never done before with this kind of setup using software that I wasn't really familiar with. But knowing, having a methodology to be able to work through problems like that very quickly and knowing that I'm not going to do it perfectly, but that having something out there for ATD to use would probably help them and it would help drive traffic to my sessions speaking about video. Um, this provides the, the real world example. I'm, I'm going to pull back the curtain and show exactly how that happened and, and why 
the decisions were made to keep that production bar low. There's a green line you can see around my left ear, and it probably would have cost me another, I don't know, $200 in lighting to fix that. I didn't fix that. But most people are going to be looking at it on a small screen on their on their iPhone or, you know, even looking at it on a laptop where it's uh, where it's a small embed that people are sh are showing from YouTube, you know, to visit this this website. Like, they don't really care. They don't really notice. In fact, they actually liked it. It ATD liked it enough to put it on the front. The, you know, the top of the front page for their speakers. Uh, okay, I didn't expect that. I thought it kind of sucked. But I'm, I'm letting other people tell me what's good and what's not. And listening to those responses, I posted that same video up on Facebook, not my learning and development community, but actually my friends, people who've seen me, you know, as a musician or whatever, they don't really know I'm doing this whole learning and development thing or speaking at conferences, I asked them, hey, what do you think of this video? And I got a hundred comments worth of response, like, nah, lose the headphones, dude, you come across like way too, uh, way too chill, you need to, or you're speaking too fast, other people said you're speaking too slow, like taking all of that commentary, and now the next video that I make for the next conference that I'm at, hopefully, I won't have that little green line, because I'll light my screen better, I'll take into account some of the feedback that I got from people, and I'll just make it a little bit better next time I make it. And, you know, I think it's a real story of there are so many potential real and not real barriers you could put in your way to go, no, I won't do it. I don't have the time. I haven't got the right lighting. Not quite happy with that finish. I won't send it in. And then nobody gets to benefit from it. And I think that, you know, in learning generally, and I think particularly with video, you can really overthink this stuff where actually, as I said, people want somebody that is really passionate about video, that's got some really good stories to tell, that's got some practical advice on tools and software and editing and lighting, etc. They want to hear the story that you tell, Sam. They're not going to chastise you and say, I'm never going to go to that guy's session because there's a small green line around his ear. <laughs> right, exactly. And and that that is really key. And that's, that's what I try to do with my video within reach um, session that I'll be teaching there and at several other conferences, which is we have learning objectives already, right? So we can take all that we know already about how to satisfy those learning objectives and simply apply it to a new medium. It's not images alone, it's moving images. But basically, you only have a couple different modalities. You have live and in person, you have text, you have images that don't move, you have audio, and then you have putting images that move together with audio. That's really it, you know, regardless of the advances in, in technology, even if we start to talk about, you know, augmented reality or all those kinds of things, it's essentially the same thing. You're just combining the text, audio, and real world interactions and pictures in various combinations and regardless of you know how the industry evolves and what technology is new and exciting it's still really going to be those basic things so learning how to use those tools to be able to satisfy learning objectives and beyond that as we were speaking about with the business to target the behavioral objectives that is what allows learning and development to really come into its own and to really serve the needs of the learner and we have the skills, we have the knowledge. 
there's some technical knowledge that maybe needs to be iterated up as well, but it's not a whole new thing that everybody needs to learn from scratch. We're not learning how to entertain with video uh, or sell things with video. We're just taking the knowledge that we have, satisfying learning objectives, and moving it over into this new format and getting curious and banging around in there and getting better at it. Well, Sam, I think that's a great place to end um, because I'm hoping that we've satisfied everybody's curiosity to the point where they want to find out more. So, Sam, where can they find out more about your work and where you post advice and where you share your thoughts with people? Sure. I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, so Sam Rogers, uh, or LinkedIn slash in dot or slash Sam Rogers uh, is me. Uh, the video e-learning forum, which you mentioned, is a great place for people to join if they're interested in exploring more to do with video. Um, that's uh, a community that I inherited. I, I didn't found it, but uh, has I've become much more active in it in the last couple months. Uh, and then like pretty much the guy running that now. I also have uh, a website, sam-rogers.com, which is where pretty much everything collides from music career to video to uh, whatever it is that I'm exploring in that moment. Uh, that's more the personal blog. But professionally, uh, LinkedIn is the place to find me. And uh, we would love to have more participation and more active conversation there, as well as the the Blab that, uh, that I mentioned with Brent Schlenker. Uh, so that's blab.im slash B. Schlenker. And uh, as a frequent contributor on Learning Now, uh, I'm sure you can find him through that. And, and maybe we can post some links in the, the podcast notes as well. Fantastic. Well, Sam, thank you so much for spending this time today with me on Learning Now Radio. My pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Learning Now Radio. All the best news, reviews and interviews. Well, that's all we have for this episode. I hope you found some useful takeaways to jot down and use back at work. And please remember to share Learning Now Radio with your work colleagues, your Twitter followers, and of course, your Facebook friends. So once again, thank you so much for listening to Learning Now Radio. Please help us to spread the word by subscribing and rating us on iTunes. And Lisa and I look forward to you joining us in two weeks' time.